This episode of the Vine Pair Podcast is sponsored by the Prisoner Wine Company. Gift-giving is a breeze thanks to the Prisoner Wine Company's intriguing portfolio of wines. Shop online to access expertly tailored gift sets like the Bright and Bold gift set or the Red Blend Collection. These sets are only available at theprisonerwinecompany.com. Treat the wine lover on your list and get ground shipping included when you order gift sets before December 14th. From VinePair's New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the VinePair podcast, full from Thanksgiving. <laughs> so guys, what have you been drinking? Oh my goodness. Well, you know, I in a way, I'll have to probably save the, the full recounting of the very little I drank at Dim Sum for another time. <laughs> but the highlight for me was actually, uh, my wife came back from a trip to France recently, brought me back a few special bottles unsurprisingly i was like hey maybe you can find some chartreuse she had you know some luck i got a fun little sample pack of like uh five different expressions of chartreuse you know little like uh airline bottle styles but That's actually fun. the most interesting thing she brought back and some uh, genipi which is another kind of similar herbal liqueur but actually the most interesting thing that she brought back that i've tried so far was a single malt whiskey from france um maison benjamin Kuntz, uh which is a so it's a you know a, a single malt whiskey from France. I don't think I'd ever had one before. I know it's a, a category that is growing in popularity in France. Uh, there are a few producers out there, but French whiskey as a whole is a, not a new thing exactly because it's been produced in very small quantities for a long time. But in terms of a commercial product uh, that has some traction, at least in France, is uh, is on the rise. So interesting, very, very delicate, maybe unsurprisingly, a little less kind of, you know, not not, not very reminiscent of, of scotch. It's not a not the right kind of climate for that exact kind of uh, expression of single malt, but delicate, a little floral kind of, um, yeah, nice. It was a fun one to drink. So cool. it's kind of the highlight for me. Joanna, how about you? Wow, I haven't had a lot to drink yet, uh, uh, recently, <laughs> yet, right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> give, uh, give her 20 minutes, folks. Yeah, Joanna's like ready to go. <laughs> I hope to drink a lot over the coming holiday season. Holiday season. <laughs> <laughs> I plan to. I've been getting over some assorted illnesses and and just um the one thing i had recently that was good was a beer from grim a vienna style lager nice i like grim ales i like grim yeah i like grim too haven't been to their pizza restaurant but no yeah me neither um what about you adam so again i haven't been drinking a lot either uh besides thanksgiving uh which again we pre-recorded this folks if you think that we recorded this again after thanksgiving like i just let's just let's just let's just be honest with everybody here okay so, so I'll share those uh, when we when we all come back. But uh, I had some martinis recently that I made. Again, so boring. It's just like I, we had some martinis. Do you just do the same spec? Yeah, over and over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You change it up at all? No. Okay. No, it's two point seven five ounces of gin, point seven five ounces of vermouth, stirred, olive twist. I mean twist, and I add an olive because I like the olive. So come at me, bro. <laughs> you know, I want a snack. Uh, that's then, yeah, I mean, I had a, a martini each on this past like weekend or whatever. And, uh, that was nice. And then otherwise, no, not a lot of wine since coming back from Italy. I'm, I'm, there will be wine obviously at Thanksgiving. So, uh, speaking of wine though, and yes. what there will be lots of it on my Thanksgiving table. Cause I think it's a great addition is white wine. And, uh, <laughs> I think, so, you know, on Friday we talked a little bit about the purchase of Sonoma Couture. And it being the third most popular white wine in America, I did not know. 
but also just that white wine is on the rise in general in well, the U.S. Also our Gallo. Gallo purchase of Massican mm-hmm. and Rombauer and sort of like white wine is coming, guys, and it's coming fast. And do you both do, – do we think – I guess to kick this off, are we in the age of Americans falling in, back in love with white wine and turning towards it more than red? Hell Yes. So back in love. Yeah, because I think Red's, Red just had such a dominance for so long. It's always been the serious wine. Yeah, it's always yeah. been, you know, the wine like, well, you know, you can, you can drink wine if it's like, huh, it's after work and you just had a hard day. But no one like really brought white wine to have with dinner. There was very strict rules, but red was always appropriate. Now, actually, a lot of people bring, I've a lot of our friends bring white wine when they come over to our house. Mm-hmm. I, I see white being consumed a lot more than red. I think there's, other reasons for that, I think the lower alcohol in white wine is a driver. I think people think it's a little bit better for them. They think they get a little bit less hungover. Uh, they get a little less tired. I think people think it's a more energizing wine, right? Like if we're going to party, we drink white. Red puts people on the couch. I, I hear this from a lot of friends like, oh, I don't really want red. I don't feel like like falling asleep right now. So, I, But I, I'm curious if we think that it's, it's kind of like it's having its moment. I think it's being taken – from my perspective, it yes. seems like it's being taken a lot more seriously. Yes. Right? Like these are these are very thoughtful business decisions that these companies are making in acquiring brands like Massican and yep. Rombauer and Sonoma Couture. And and I think that for again, from my perspective, for a long time, it was always like white wine, the impression that if you were a white wine drinker, it was like you liked Pinot Grigio or like you know, mass-produced Chardonnay, you're probably a woman, you know what I mean? Um, And it was taken a lot less seriously. So I think that's kind of what these recent acquisitions, whatever, uh, kind of signal. Okay. So I have a couple of thoughts to add. First, I think Adam's point about the sort of at least uh, imprimatur of being of white wine being lower alcohol, you know, less deleterious to your health or less at least hurtful the next day are a big part of this. I think another big part of it is that it's much, much, much easier to put a lot of quality white wine in the 20 to 40 or 25 to $50 price range because white wine fits a lot of what the industry needs right now. It's quicker to produce. You can get higher yields out of the same amount of land. It doesn't have to be aged for the most part, or at least not for as long. And um, that is a big appeal, especially in the domestic market for a product that does not have the sort of long lead time that even, you know, sort of mid-tier price red wine does. I also think the other part of this is that white wine is now finally starting to break out of a couple of sort of boxes that had been put in. And one of them is what Joanna had described, which is that it was ascribed to unserious wine drinkers, which was just code for women, which is, you know, fucked up, but was how a lot of the industry thought of it. And it was also kind of seen as the wine you drank before you drank the real wine. We've talked about yes. that, you and me, Adam, for sure, on this, episode, oh, on this yeah. pod before. Totally. And I think also a big part of this and something that I think I've mentioned on the pod before and certainly have been thinking about a lot is how so much of the white red wine that is lauded, critically collected, commands really high prices is such a poor fit for the food that most people eat, especially yep. when dining out. But even when eating at home in a lot of cases, because that those red wines are often, you know, full bodied, tannic, you know, big, powerful wines. And there's just not very much cuisine that holds up to that. And we're not a country 
of people who eat steak three times a week anymore. I mean, some people do for sure, but as a whole, we don't. And and these companies, these brands have learned that there's a huge audience for wine yeah. that are people who don't, who want to be able to have wine every day or almost every day, but that wine is not going to be an expensive or even inexpensive Cabernet or other sort of attempt to make Cabernet that's not Cabernet wine. It's going to be something totally different that people feel you know, less, you know, whether it's sort of hungover or just kind of tired from drinking two, two or three glasses of yeah. fits with more cuisine is feels more fun, frankly, is a big part of it, too. I think white wine has a way of feeling fun that, you know, red wine rarely does. And, you know, we've seen this bleed back from, you know, people trying to ser- sell red wine as chillable red wine. It's because they want red wine that's more like white wine, which is kind of a weird, if not perhaps long overdue kind of market correction. I think you make a really good point with the price point there, too. Yes. Because I don't think people are after, like, the $10 white wine anymore. No. Like, they don't want that. They want better quality, more serious white wine. Which then, again, you know, explains the purchase of these three wineries recently that all do white, that all do expensive white. And premium prices paid for at least one of them that we know and probably the other two were as well. Yeah, I think that, you know, we're past the days of just, you know... I think white wine is glow- growing, but we're past the days of just like homogenous New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. Right. That just all smelled like cat pee and fresh cut grass. Right. Like that's that doesn't that's not actually what people want anymore. They want serious white wines that are interesting, but also thirst quenching. I see a lot. I, I talk to a lot of people who are like, well, I like white wine as well, because I just feel like when I'm drinking it, it there's this. There's the satiation, you know, I feel satiated in a way that I don't as often with red, yeah. where the, the red kind of feels a little bit more, I don't know, weighted down on people's palates. And I think also, you know, this is proof that we've been saying for, for you know, a, a long time now that the palate of Americans was moving much more towards higher acid, lower ABV, etc. Red wine could get there, but it's been, again, like with the majority of the wine industry, very slow moving. So there still is this, you know, large allegiance to big red wines, high alcohol, over oak, extraction, etc., because that's what one generation still really likes. To be clear, the boomers still like what they like. Yeah. And the it's the other generations that I think are driving white wine. And they're also, I think, driving it in large part because the red wine hasn't caught up with the red wine isn't caught up as fast with the flavor characteristics and white wine has always been here well and i don't even think red wine can i mean i actually disagree that in a way just like some of the fundamental realities of what making red wine is about in most cases is about you know you're 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 getting a certain amount of tannic extraction in the wine to be able to have it be red (laughs) in the first place and yes you know maybe there are certain varieties obviously you can talk about your Cherisuolos and even your Pierrot Noirs and stuff that are you know te- you know red wines but very you know low in tannin light in color but but fine and those are, and obviously Pinot Noir remains very popular as well probably for a lot of those reasons yeah. but but the fundamental thing and I think this is I want to I want to emphasize what Adam was saying a moment ago and actually Joanna as well is that part of where the excitement to me lies is that White wine is no longer also defined by like three or four varieties, all of which have like their archetype. It's no longer just Pinot Grigio, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, and Riesling. And all of those are still great, and there are a lot of great wines being made from them, and obviously a lot of diversity within those varieties uh, that 
are really worth exploring and getting excited about. But there's also, I think, a lot of space and a lot more interest in a whole host of other varieties, to say nothing of white blends, which, again, a category that people often forget even exists in a lot of cases, but is out there. And I mean, again, you know, Dan's wine is a great example of that. Like the masculine wines are blends often. And I think you see a lot of really interesting possibility space there for, for brands and for what, and, and for producers and stuff to create wines that really do meet people's needs that, that fit this current wine drinking paradigm. And that can bring some of the fun, some of the vibrance and some of the kind of novelty back to wine that I think has been lacking because wine and wine coverage and the wine industry has been so dominated by these kind of ponderous red wines for so long. Yeah. There was another factor that you wanted to mention, right, Zach? There was? Taylor Swift. Oh, yeah. We got, well, so I mean, I want to, I got to give a shout out. Thank you. Yes, I forgot. I've forgotten my my own uh, talking points here. So first of all, shout outs to to John, one of our uh, listeners writing in, pointing out that, uh, you know, Taylor Swift, who he called the most famous person in the universe. I don't know. We'll, we'll leave that up to you listeners if that's correct or not. But certainly up there is apparently a big white wine drinker, but no one even really knows what it is she drinks. And that's obviously not a total accident. I'm sure if, you know, Taylor wants to come on the podcast and share with us her favorite white wines. I think we could probably squeeze her in somewhere on the podcast. She likes schedule. Sancerre, Pinot Gris. And oh, I was reading this before. So, you know, you're kind of some of your usual suspects. But again, like, here's a great example of like, Someone who is like prime in the demographic that wine absolutely needs, who is a white wine drinker. Like, if I'm a white wine brand, shouldn't I be shouting this from the rooftops? Like, you know, put like, I, and I think it, there's a reason for it, right? Like, it's not just a coincidence that the kind of collective, I don't know, whatever avatar of millennial slash elder Gen Z is like, this is what she likes. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense to me that that's where wine is going more than it's whoever the avatar of, you know, older Gen X and boomers was. I'm not, we we don't need to unpack that now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's a really interesting point. It's not something I'm particularly tapped into, but I mean, yeah, I think John is right. She is probably one of the most famous people in the world right now. Um, And so it'll be really interesting to see, how that might affect this upcoming generation's yeah. drinking preferences? Uh, look, I think that they're going to fully listen to her. And again, just like there was a lot of people who were interested in, in drinking a Negroni Spagliato based on an actress who I don't even really know, uh, <laughs> you know, there's going to be a lot more people that are going to listen to Taylor Swift. And so if she's saying that's what she likes to drink, there's going to be a lot more people who are very interested in white wine. And that's great. I, again, I think wine needs all the help it can get right now, folks. We've talked about that a bunch. And, uh, you know, I think, again, if white wine is the thing people are interested in, like, let's ride that wave and push people to get into it more and have more higher quality wines available for them so that they can experience all that it has to offer. Because I do think that there is a lot of occasions. I also think that part of the rise is there's a lot more occasions that actually white wine fits in that red just doesn't. Yeah. You know? Hanging out with friends at a party, you can easily drink white wine. Again, red, a little bit more difficult. Also, like, it's just cleaner. If I I don't want to spill red wine on myself and then I have stains, (laughs) white, it kind of disappears. It's kind of like, you know, I'm at a party. It's crazy. We're, you know, we're dancing, whatever. I spill some white wine on myself because I'm really breaking it down on the dance floor. Like, no harm, no foul. Red, everyone knows it happened. It's true. You know, no one wants that. No one wants that. You know, it's also interesting to point out that, 
you know, one thing that we've talked about too, and, and I think I mentioned this briefly, but I want to expand on it is like, it's not just that it is better setting for those kind of high sort of like high energy uh, sort of lively settings. But like, I wonder too, you know, does it fit better in a sort of in like the, the nightlife club scene that we've been a little bit talking about? And I think we'll talk about in the future mm. too, as being more, more important for alcohol broadly because again like it's served cold as you mentioned adam it can feel refreshing to people yeah. like i can i can't imagine i mean besides i well i don't know i can't really imagine getting like bottle service at a club anywhere but i can't imagine being like oh yes let me have let me order a nice bordeaux and we'll sit here with a decanter on our table like that doesn't make any sense to me but i could see being like yeah we'll get a nice like you know crisp white wine and like we'll drink that just like we would drink sparkling wine or rosé or something in that setting so it, it'd be interesting to see kind of are there <laughs> hard, hard for me to wrap my head around it, but like, are there club bottles for uh, for white wine coming? Probably, I guess, if they're not out there already. Maybe Sonoma Couture is that bottle. Who knows? The last thing I want to ask you guys about this. Wait, Zach, I've... can you please go to a club and order a white wine? Yes, do it. I take a picture. <laughs> okay, I will expense it. I will invoice you guys for that one. Yes, let us know. Let okay. us know what you ordered. Right. Let us know where you went. <laughs> I'm flying to Vegas on the company dime. Love it. Um, yeah, so I think the other thing I was going to say is... Um, that the question I was going to ask to both of you is, you know, the other the other thing that's really true about white that I think is relevant here in this conversation is that because of the, like I said before, the sort of less the less amount of sort of lag time between, you know, harvest and sale or harvest and even consumption than there was with red wine. I think the other thing that's exciting about white wine in the in the modern. Uh, alcohol marketplaces, it can be much more responsive to trends. And I think that's been wine's other big problem. Yeah, and totally. I think we've touched on this, but it's it's always a little hard to kind of give it full credence is, you know, wine as a category, because it's a one time a year harvest with, you know, sort of long lead times, both in the sort of development of a vineyard, and then even the maturation of the wine in here, we're largely talking about red, just necessarily can't be ahead of trends unless the people doing it are either very, you know, uh, have a lot of force, uh, foresight or just get lucky. And white wine, I think, is a little bit more nimble in that regard. It takes, you know, there's less lag time with a lot of these products. You can be from from harvest to store shelves in five or six months as opposed to 18 months or something like that for a lot of red wine. Uh, does that feel like a thing that could help white wine as well? Yeah, I mean, that I, that makes to, makes sense to me that they should be able to respond to trends. I, I don't know what trends in particular. Well, I mean, like if, if we find out that like actually what Taylor Swift really loves is like Rebola Gialla, and suddenly there's, you know, 5,000% more demand for Rubola Jala. I mean, you can't just plant more exactly, but, you know, maybe you find ways to to spread your existing... This is a terrible example because it's not, not a good one, but, you know, whatever. Not, if she was really into, really into Riesling or something, something that there is actually a lot of planted or around. I don't know. It just, it feels like, you know, wine, wine in general has not exactly been real good at chasing trends with a few yeah. examples, a few outliers that we've discussed, you know, sparkling wine and rosé basically being them. And in a lot of ways, because they became the trend, but it does just feel like it's in a way more responsive. White wine can be more responsive to kind of not even something as small as a little as that, but just, you know, again, this, whether it's high acid more, you know, people in a couple of years are like, Oh, we really want, you know, kind of more floral wines or something like that. It's just easier. I think for a product with less lead time, I guess, in it, or however you want to frame it to, to get to market with things to something yeah. that people want. Totally. And it, it can hit the market fa much faster. Mm -hmm. uh, it's much more nimble. No, I, no, I, I hear you on that. It also, you know, it, it allows for, as you said, all the capacity issues that run it with, with red, red has to sit the tank for much longer. You know, they can turn the tanks faster. Uh, all of that I think is very good for winemakers. And, 
you know, for consumers. And I, I just, I think again, there's, there's so many reasons why I just think about even tailgating. Like you can like, again, drink a white wine and be outside and it just a, a lot of ways in which we interact as human beings. Yeah. White wine seems to fit much better than red. And this has never been a culture for which wine drinking was connected to food in the same way it has been in Europe. And while that is what a lot of wine companies have tried to emulate because that's just what we know from watching our peers in Europe. That's not how we consume wine. So it's almost natural that we ultimately would gravitate towards white because it fits much more of the ways we drink wine, like just sitting in front of the fucking TV and turning on the crown. Mm-hmm. Oh, this first part of the season has been brutal. But anyways, that's that's <laughs> just, you know... That's my uh, that's my thoughts. Uh, well, Adam, I want to add one last thing too, which I, which just reminded me of too. It's also a much better fit for all the alternative packaging that totally. we've been talking about. You know, totally. box, bag and box, can, etc. Uh, you know, keg, etc. All a natural fit for white wine in a way that a lot of red wines are just a uh, poor fit for. One hundred percent. Let us know what you think about white wine. Uh, hit us up podcast uh, Do you think that it is? you know, ripe to overtake red anytime soon. Uh, do you agree with our points for why we think that has happened? We'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, again, welcome to the holiday season. And uh, Joanna and Zach, I'll talk to you on Friday. Have a nice week. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So... The Vine Pair Podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington, in Zach Chabal's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered, and produced by Zach. He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire Vine Pair Podcast Network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Sherino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire VinePair staff and everyone who's been involved in making VinePair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Visit theprisonerwinecompany.com to explore all of their offerings this holiday season. And remember, ground shipping is included on all gift set purchases.